Greetings, those who are attending Camp Syker this very interesting year, 2020, uh, through a virtual means of gathering for camp meeting. I don't know that there has ever been any virtual camp meeting in the history of camp meetings. So I guess I could say it's my privilege to be a part of something that's brand new and something that is also completely strange to be a part of that which is done virtually when we're used to gathering together, coming back for family events, welcoming those that we've worshipped with over the summers for many, many years. This is, is indeed a very, very different year. But still, it's a privilege for me to be able to join with you and hopefully share a timely word from God's truth that will be important for us and poignant for us uh, as we gather the way that we can this year. I want to say first of all, and I, and I want to just share my heart for a moment, that uh, this has been a tough year for Camp Syker, not only because of COVID-19 and the changing of how camp is actually experienced and how it's conducted. But we are all aware of the absence of one that we have loved and appreciated and have, have so been blessed by his presence uh, as we recognize the absence of Paul Alford. We love Paul and, and Vanjie. It's been my privilege to be their pastor and the sudden departure of Paul this year um, was a, a shock to all of us. And I want you to know that he had a very, very special impact on me. And let me just share that briefly. My father, uh, Reverend Max Morgan, preached Camp Syker two times. And Paul was aware of that. And when I was asked to just fill in for one of the evening services, I believe it was a Friday evening service of Camp uh, because the individual who was the real evangelist couldn't make it. When I arrived at Camp Syker, my first opportunity to step foot on those grounds, Paul met me and shared with me two camp brochures going back to the two years where my father had been on the slate of evangelists, and he gave those to me as gifts that I have very much uh, treasured. And I keep them in, in my desk drawer, right in the middle drawer, where occasionally I access those. The thoughtfulness of Paul and his kindness shown to me was beyond just the natural. It was beyond that which is pastor to layman and a, a part of a camp meeting board and a role of secretary. Far more than that was just his thoughtfulness and his gracious spirit. So I want to say to all of us, those who uh, have known Paul and known Paul far better than I, um, what an impact of a life lived well, and what a blessing to know him, and a joy for him to be a part, I'm sure, of the many, many years of Camp Syker. He is missed. <clears throat> we appreciate the family, and we're praying for Vanjie. But I wanted to mention that as uh, we, we began these services um, virtually, I just wanted to share my appreciation for Paul. Again, I'm, I'm grateful to Matt Brooks and those who have invited me to be a part of this, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to try in any way to act like this is anything else other than a virtual setting. So between the messages, 
I don't plan on changing my outfit. I don't plan on changing shirts. What you see, sadly, is what you get. And this is what you're going to have in front of you for the three services and the three sermons that I share with you. But I think we understand these are extraordinary times. I want to share a word of prayer with you, if I may, and then we'll look together at God's Word. Father, we come to you at this time knowing that one of our greatest treasures for many of us, has been the camp meeting movement. We thank you for the place and the powerful impact of camp meeting settings wherein we have heard great preaching, timely truth, and where we have witnessed the moving of your Holy Spirit. It's been in those times where much spiritual ground has been gained and decisions have been made that have not only affected the rest of many people's lives, but it has certainly affected the kingdom and eternity. So we thank you for Camp Syker. We thank you for those who are so committed to maintaining its message and keeping it alive. And we know that in a year like this where it's such an anomalous year, such a strange time, that this really alters much of the camp meeting environment. We pray that you would help us to compensate for that. We pray that you would minister to us even though we're not in those familiar sacred settings. We pray that you would minister to everyone who watches and speak your word, speak your truth by the anointing of your spirit to every heart. May there be much good gained and may there be much accomplished for the glory of God and for the good of each individual. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are hallmark passages in Scripture, and we must never ignore them because they are without question those platform kind of footer truths without which life simply has no foundation. And especially for those of us who have been enriched and blessed in our lives by being a part of a holiness background, we are very much, very much uh, indebted to these great texts and those who have preached so faithfully from them. So with a little bit of fear and trepidation, uh, I want to share one of those monumental texts with you uh, tonight and look at it together just as openly and as transparently as we possibly can to discern what it is that God is after in your heart and in mine, what God wants to do uh, in each of our lives. The text is found kind of as a bookend text in Peter's first letter. It's found in chapter 1, and we're going to read down through Uh, the first 16 verses. I want to cover those verses, and then we will especially look at two or three that are uh, at the close of that portion of Scripture. I'm reading from the New American Standard and beginning with verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. As to this salvation... The prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's look again at those verses 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We know that the first reference of God's holiness impacting us is mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We find quickly that from, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, the, the giving of our hearts completely to God, loving God with all of our being, and then as we move also through 
texts that we find in Leviticus, we understand that from the very beginning of God's revelation of Himself to us, God makes it clear in a way different than even the world understood at that point that He is indeed holy. We might look at that and say, well, that's kind of neat that God's holy, and what does that mean to me, and what does that mean as far as a descriptor of God, and, and that's, kind of, that's kind of neat, kind of fine. But God makes it clear to us that because He is holy, because of His character, because of what in essence is His very core, His very nature, that spills over onto us. That has implications for us. And it's inescapable, and thankfully so, that because of who God is, that directly impacts who He calls you and me to be as well. So let's be aware of the fact that this, is, this cannot be studied in some kind of a forensic way to where we look at God in some static, some kind of cold, calculating way and we just study the idea that God is holy, that that is so disconnected from us, so other than what is expected of us, and may we never look at that as being impossible for us, may we understand that this has direct potent implications for you and for me that God is holy. So at the end, really, of Scripture, as we look at the New Testament, Peter makes it very, very clear. Peter makes it absolutely clear that what had been said from God's earliest revelation of Himself, God's self-disclosure of who He was, that the implications have never changed, that as a result, God also who is holy calls you and calls me to be holy in this life, to be holy as He is holy. May we note, at least from the beginning, and may we take heart in the fact that this is not some outdated notion. This isn't something of bygone era that has had its period where it ran with some potency and it ran with some strength, but we've kind of now in our sophisticated state outdistanced that notion. Let me just say this, God's call for us to be holy has always been true, and if it's ever been true, it's true today, and God is calling you and me to this day to be holy. May we also be aware of the fact that looking at the atonement of Jesus Christ and the shedding of His blood as being somehow um, detached from this call is a tremendous mistake. Jesus' atonement is not just a covering. His atonement is not only or exclusively to forgive us of our sins, but without question, the shedding of Jesus' blood willingly on Calvary has a distinct objective, and that objective is that we might be restored in the beauty of holiness. And God owns that. God owns holiness. God is holy. He's the source of it, but He's also the giver of it. He's the provider of it. And I want us to note that from the very outset. When we look at the word call, if we are to look at the call of God on our hearts, the call to be holy, let's understand what that means. It isn't just a suggestion. It certainly isn't just a piece of good advice that we can take it or leave it. We can be indifferent to it, and we can benefit from it if we go so far as to take it seriously. But for those of us who don't, it's not that important of a matter. May we understand that God's call, the call of God, 
to be holy is without question an urgent call to action. It is without, without a doubt, it is a summons for us to sober up, to be serious-minded, and to take it as a matter of earnest endeavor that we would understand God has called us to be holy. It's not something to treat um, with any kind of, of inconsiderate view or, or indifferent notion. It is a call on our hearts to be taken most seriously because God links Himself. God links His work through Christ on the cross. God links His character. God connects everything there is to know about God with this call. When He puts Himself in the role of the source, when He puts Himself in the role of the offerer of this, when He puts Himself in the role of the qualifier of this call, let us know that God is vested in this call. So God's very character, God's essence is, in, is engaged in this call. We could put it this way in terms that maybe we're more familiar with today. God is all in on this call. This is not something that is, that is insignificant to God. This isn't something that He can bypass and uh, just suggest it occasionally. This is indeed an all-in call. God has invested everything. I hope we understand that. He has invested His all. You know, Jesus reminds us that he is our, He's our all in all. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is the first and He is the last. Everything that Jesus came to do is representing this call for you and for me to be holy. God is all in. God is all in on this purpose to make us holy as He Himself is holy. May we never treat this with indifference. May we never treat it in a cavalier, casual way. And may we, I pray, as pastors and as ministers and as lay leaders, may we never ever reduce this call to some occasional discussion with little or no gravity and impact on our lives. May we understand this is God's grand, urgent call and invitation to each of us. So let's understand the notion of call. God's call to us is indeed a narrow focused agenda of God's all-in plan to redeem us, reconcile us to Himself, give us the ministry of reconciliation. He has called us to come back to be restored in His image, and that image is indeed His character of holiness. I'm going to talk about just four things that are associated with this great text. And I just want to highlight a few things. This is in no way comprehensive. There are greater minds, far greater minds than mine, that have addressed this great truth. So in my pastoral way and from my experiences, let me just share with you four observations that I hope will speak to you and either encourage you in what you have already encountered by His grace or that it will help propel you to encounter this grace, to experience this grace that God wants you to know, that God wants you to know. First of all, this kind of a call to be holy 
just as we have read that we are to be holy. Why? Because the Holy One, the Holy One has called you, called me to this. Then we are to be holy ourselves in our behavior, in all of our behavior. First of all, a holy God who created us, who, as it says in Scripture, created us in His image, created us with a capacity, a marvelous, unique capacity in relation to all other creation. He created us with a capacity to fellowship with Him, to know Him, to identify with Him, to have, as it were, a bond with Him that is, first of all, moral. It's on moral grounds, it's on spiritual grounds that we can have fellowship with Him. Image means face in Hebrew, and it really gives us the idea that we are not called to just look like God. We don't look like God. God's a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. But there is a likeness that we are to share that we can be so morally transformed. We can be so spiritually affected by God that we can witness a fellowship with Him that is like face to face. That we can enjoy being in the presence of God, even though it might be in a, a, a little bit of a diminished way now, in the fullest of senses, we can have a fellowship with Him when we see Him, know Him, encounter Him. When this probation period is over, we can encounter Him face to face. That is that word image. We are called to be comfortable by His grace, to be conformable to Him to the point where we are able to be with Him face to face. That kind of a call from a holy God is exactly what you and I should expect. So without question, this should not seem foreign to us that a holy God who created us in His image, created us with this unique capacity to fellowship with Him, and God didn't cause things to run amok. We know where the intrusion came from. We know what impacted God's perfect plan for us. We should not be surprised, though, that this great God of all power, this God who has never, ever diminished in His ability to work in us, that through the atoning work of His Son, Jesus Christ, indeed calls us again and calls us back to this wonderful image of holiness. So we ought to expect it. A holy God who has all power, who is absolutely unhindered in His power, and who sends His Son into this world to pay a price to atone for our sinfulness and our sins, He would not have sent His Son to do that if it only provided a partial impact, a partial effect on our terribly blighted spiritual condition. No, we must never ever believe that God somehow can only do a partial patch-up job. God is in the business of calling us through His grace and by the blood of His Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the exercise of our faith in His Word, God is calling us to expect this very thing, that He is calling us indeed back to a spiritual condition back to a moral virtue and quality that is akin to His. Why? A, He created us. 
B, He has bought us at the price of the precious blood of Jesus. There's no way that a loving God, there's no way that a holy God of love could hatch any other plan than to pursue us for our greatest good. I think we would agree with that, that God would not be a God of love if He was capable of doing all of this morally and spiritually, but He only gave us part of it, aspects of it, a component of it, a God who really loves us would withhold nothing from us in order that we might encounter all of His grace to be made like Him. This is exactly what we ought to expect. There's no way in the world also that a holy God morally, who is altogether holy, will abide unholiness. We know that the Scriptures are consistent on the fact that light does not fellowship with darkness. Christ doesn't have any kind of fellowship with Belial. There's no compromising in God's heart. There's no compromising in His condition and character where He will somehow say, well, I just wish I could do in you greater things, but because I can't, I'm going to tolerate or put up with your impurity, your unholiness, and somehow we'll figure out a way where I can just squint a certain way or look at you a certain way and not see it and not smell it and not hear it, and that way we somehow are able to fellowship together. No, a holy God and a potent God, 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 who is God, would never take that kind of attack. So it's especially... What, what you and I should expect from a holy God. We should expect Him to call us to be holy. I would just say this. A second point to that, which I want to emphasize is this. If we say we love God, and don't forget, that's what Jesus put as the aim of your heart and mine, that our ability to love in a spiritual and in an exclusive way has been directed toward God, that you and I are to love God as a summary of all of the law and the prophets. You and I are to love God with all of our being. There isn't any way in the world that we can ever justify the idea that we can love God as we are called to love God and as we are compelled by the witness and by the work of Christ to love God in that exclusive first preference way. There's no way in the world we can be called to that and then by the help of God live that and it not be what we want. We should not only expect that God calls us to be holy, but you and I, if we ever declare that we have a, a centered affection for Him, if we have a first preference affection for Him, there's no way in the world we should ever say that holiness is not what we want. I hope we get that. In fact, we should be absolutely compelled to the notion of, to the virtue of, to the value of what it means to be holy, because if we say we love God, we love God for who He is, and we love God for all that comes with God. And everything that there is about God to know is based, first of all, in His character. And you and I are 
fortunate, we are beneficiaries, as it were, of the fact that God is holy. He's trustworthy because He's holy. He keeps His word. He keeps His promises to every one of us. He doesn't show any partiality, and we can count on that. What He did for old-timers, what He did for people who have long gone from this world and preceded us, what He has done, He offers and promises to you and to me because He's no respecter of persons. And because of that, because of God's character, because He's holy, He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is trustworthy. He is a promise keeper. He is the yes and always the amen. He is the one that we can trust implicitly and explicitly with our lives. So this is exactly what you and I should want. If we say we love God, if we're drawn to Him, if we're compelled to Him, this is exactly what we would crave. This is what we should want. Because if we don't want to be holy, if we do not want holiness as a condition or ground of our own heart, if we don't want to be holy, then the reality is we don't want God. If we do not want to be holy, we want that which is other than God. We prefer that which takes the place of God. We are looking for the opposite of God. So if we say we love God, let's just note this. Let's understand this. You can't say that you love God. You cannot raise your hand and make a pledge that you love God and you want to be loyal to God if indeed you also don't crave holiness because that is not just a little bit of occasionally what God is like. This is part and parcel of who God is. This is exactly what you and I should crave. We should want to be holy. This call should not come to us in a, in, a, in a sense that causes us to be repelled. We should not find in our hearts an abrasive pushback response. We should want to be holy if we indicate we love God. The alternative to holiness is too obvious, it's too ugly. It's too anti-God. It's too anti-Christ. So if we say that we are wanting to walk with God, if we commit to want, and want to walk with Jesus, then I'll say this, we want to be holy as well. We want holiness. We want holiness. If we don't, if we don't, and if somewhere in our hearts, as we've come to a deciding place, a choice place, and we find that we want that which is other than God, then we ought to see that there is something evil. There is something present. There is something not only missing, but there's something present that opposes the very character of God, and that should alarm each and every one of us. It should be exactly, exactly what we hunger for and what we crave. I would just say this too, as we look at Scripture, if we look at it honestly, if we read the whole book, and I would say that we're probably in the most biblically illiterate era in the age of literacy than perhaps we've ever known as a culture. It's staggering to me as a pastor to find among so many that they've read so little from the Word of God. That's a travesty by the way, and I want to urge you, I want to encourage you, 
put a lot of the other stuff aside. Uh, turn off the news whenever you can because, for one thing, there's nothing good in it. Avoid that kind of din of noise. Tune it out. Turn it off. And if you do anything productive, read the Word of God. Read the book. God has taken pains to disclose Himself to you and His purposes for you. Read the book. So without question, if you read the book, if you look at the chronicling of people's lives in the Old Testament, if you look at truth lived out in life, if you look at the law, if you look at the prophets, if you, if you look at the wisdom literature, if you look at the poetry of the Old Testament, the prayers, the great psalms, if you look at all of that in the Old Testament and then look at the punctuation of all that truth in the New, you cannot help, you cannot help but hear this great call to be holy. So it is indeed the message we hear. This is the message God has given to us. Let's be aware of that and let's hold to that. Let's not run from that. Let's not look elsewhere in Scripture to find more palatable Scriptures. Let's not push back against that. Let's recognize this is exactly the consistent message we hear in God's Word. It's exactly, it's, it's exactly what we hear. Both Old and New Testaments, without question, but we also hear it in those subjective ways. We not only see it and hear it and come across it in objective truth that just is always true and never goes out of fashion, but we also hear it in our spiritual hearing. And let's just be aware of that. We have a, a God-given gift. We have a God-given ability to hear the Holy Spirit speak. And the fact is, He does. He does consistently. And I have found this over the years of being a pastor that time and time again, without exception, as people come under the influence of the Word of God and come under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and as they come under the influence of God's Holy Word, the Holy Spirit is absolutely consistently faithful to speak to every heart, to bring them along in a sense of conviction, to bring them along in prevenient grace, and to work in their hearts and to work in their minds so that they will become agreeable to, that they will become open to and responsive to this great call of God, this message that is consistent time immemorial for us to be holy. There isn't any question. If you look at David in Psalm 51, if you look at Jacob wrestling with the angel, if you look at Abraham being faithful with Isaac, if you see all of that, if you look and if you read and if you take to heart and if you consider, here's the reality that you cannot escape and you shouldn't try. And that is, it's the message that we consistently hear over and over again from our great faithful God. And the Holy Spirit will work on, on us. He will, he will get a hold of our conscience. He will trouble us. He will let even events and circumstances unsettle us so that we will search, so that we will pray, so that we will seek. All of that is because this is a message to which God is calling us and drawing us. Last, 
This is indeed, without question, not just some kind of Wesleyan idea. I just want to make that very, very clear. I am Wesleyan because theologically we need campsites. Just like there's a camp psyker, it's, it's an identity for us, isn't it? Those of you who have been associated with this camp over the years, maybe you're a part of a succession of several generations of camp psyker attendees. That is a sense of identity for you. So I just want you to know that I'm Wesleyan, not because I worship John Wesley, and not because John Wesley died for me. He didn't, and he didn't die for you. And it isn't because I'm just of a, of a certain background, as some have often described it, I'm of the Wesleyan tradition. No, that is an inadequate statement. I'm Wesleyan because Wesley got it right when he looked at Scripture. I'm just going to put it that way. Wesley was a biblical theologian. He understood it right. He understood this was the message, the core message of the Scriptures, and he got to it. He got after it to look at what this message entailed. And I would say, again, I'm Wesleyan because this is what the Scripture calls us not only to hear, but ultimately to give an account for. We are called to answer this call. So let's just look at that in closing. We cannot um, be Teflon-like so that when this message comes to us, it has absolutely no bearing on us. We cannot let it just kind of slide off of us or bounce off of us and then walk on as if we've never been touched by this truth. That isn't how God operates. God faithfully brings truth to our front porch, the front porch of our hearts. He brings that message to us for this purpose. He does not want us to be unclear about it. He does not want us to be uncertain about it. He's faithful in His delivery to us. He wants us to hear this truth. He wants us to get this message. He wants us to understand this is His character. He wants us because we want God and we crave God to also crave holiness because He is calling us to make a choice. He's calling us to respond. He's calling us to answer His call. The fact that God calls, the fact that there has been this reach from God that has come all the way down to you and to me, because of that, we cannot ignore it. We can't run from it. We can't seek some kind of a, of a middle ground. We cannot seek some kind of neutral territory with this call. This is the call we are to choose or we are to make choices about this call. This is the call we are to answer. And we will either let it sink in, let this truth by the power of the Holy Spirit convict us, compel us, enlighten us, wake us up, show us our condition, unmask us, We'll either, either let this truth do the work God has intended it to do to bring us to a certain end. We'll either cooperate, we'll either agree with it, we'll either work in step with the Spirit, we'll either respond appropriately, or I guarantee you this will become a crossroads. This will become such an important juncture in our lives that if we say no to God's call to make us holy, if we choose 
other things and other and and another a life to to God ruling and reigning without rival in our hearts. If we deny this moment of great truth, if we do not respond but we despise what God has done, this will be the crossroads moment of choice for every one of our lives. And we know this. When does a decision of this magnitude have impact on us? Well, immediately. If we decide to say no to God, that is uh, a tremendous, tremendous opening up of the door of all kinds of pain and anguish and trouble. If we say no to God at this point, if we say no thank you, I, I, I want just to be forgiven, I want to have just enough to maybe get me out of this life, I kind of want a life raft or... Uh, you know, a flotation device to keep me from drowning, but I don't want to go this far with God, then let me just make this clear to you. That does not mean we stay at that point, we stop there, we halt there, but we're still good because James reminds us that, that at the very core of a sinful choice is knowledge of knowing what we ought to do that is good. And when we know to do good, when we know to do right, and we don't do it, that is sin. So just let me make this clear to you. You cannot say no to God's invitation and God's call with which we are to have urgency in our response. We can't say no to that great call of God as being the purpose and the objective of the atonement of Jesus. Say no to it, but somehow stay good with God. Please be aware of that. Please understand that. If God is calling us to this, this is a point of obedience. This is a point of faithfulness. This requires the right answer from you and from me. So I urge you, as we talk about holiness and as we are a part of a campground that was based on being a place where this is presented and this truth is preached, let's understand this. This is exactly, this is exactly the kind of truth you and I need to obey. The synergy of all of this is we have free will. God will not force us. He will not coerce us. He'll bring us as far as He can he, without intruding and, and overstepping in our freedom. He will come all the way to us with the movement and ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will draw us and compel us and pursue us. His prevenient grace is ever in front of us. He will work and He will provide every means and all the wherewithal for us to answer. But the synergy of, of all of this is your faith and my faith, your obedience, my obedience, that we will say yes with all that is required to the great invitation that God gives us to be holy. I want to guarantee you something. God never calls us to that which cannot be attained. God never, ever offers us something that He leaves empty. God never says, I'll do this for you, and then mock you and leave you frustrated and say, well, I just wanted you to come a little farther than where you've been, but I really never meant to do what I said you were called to be. God will never do that. The fact that He calls us there is everything then available for you and for me to answer His call. The response that God wants us 
to have is this. Simply stated, in its simplest form, I really believe all we need to do is just to say, I've heard this call. The Holy Spirit is saying this is true. I'm getting confirmation in my heart that this is what you want for me. I may not even completely understand all of it, but I'm at least going to become a registered seeker. And I am going to seek. I'm going to seek with all of my heart because there's a promise that I remember somewhere in Scripture that if we search for you and if we seek you with all of our hearts, we will find you. So I'm going to at least put myself on the roster, the list of those who are seeking this great working of God in my heart and in my life. And I am here to declare, I want the help of the Holy Spirit to seek as I've never sought before. I ask for light. I ask for the evaluation of my own heart and life so that I can do what you are calling me to do. I want to walk in the light you give me because I want to say yes and answer appropriately this call to be holy. I want to urge you, and I just want to encourage you, we have camp meetings, we preach messages, we come together to hear truth, not so that we can somehow just kind of have our hearts slightly warmed and we go away unfazed and unchanged. No. We do what we do in meetings like Camp Psyker and revival meetings and worship services, we do all of that for the sake of ultimately hearing God speak, hearing God's voice, knowing that His message is coming to each of us without um, any preference and partiality. And our hearts cry, may we know clearly, may we hear clearly, so that we might respond with the help of the Spirit to the call of the blood of Jesus Christ to make us holy. I pray that in these days, God will take these messages and speak to our hearts and compel us in ways we've never been urged before to follow after Him. Just as the one, the Holy One, has called you, be holy in all your behavior. Because he who has called you is holy. Father, take your word, we pray. Make it and use it as a means to be a catalyst for us to seek you. May we be drawn to you and drawn to this promise for us and this truth to us. May we be drawn to your holiness and to being holy ourselves because this is the core of who you are. Move in the hearts and minds of your people and accomplish your good purposes, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. I encourage you. Trust in a holy God.